Hi, everybody, and thanks for taking time out of your busy schedule to listen in on our Hilco Global Smarter Perspective podcasts. As return listeners know by now, I'm your host, Steve Katz, and if this is your first time with us, well, then welcome. We're glad that you could tune in. Today, we're going to be talking about a development in the retail market, which is creating operational complexity and threatening margin for both operators and brands, and we're all familiar with it as consumers who have at least to some degree modified our buying habits in recent years, particularly coming out of the pandemic. And that topic is the growing number of product returns that are taking place, why this has occurred, and how those in the market can and are responding. And with us for that conversation is a very distinguished group of co-managing directors from turnaround and restructuring firm Getzler Henrik, a Hilco global company, including Mark Sampson, Michael Apple, and Glenn McMahon. Gentlemen, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having us. Yeah, glad to have you on. So, uh, Mark, you. Let, Mark, let's just jump right in with you. Um, what what kind of challenges are you guys seeing right now in retail, uh, specifically pertaining to this return situation? Well, of course, retail is under huge pressure because they're trying to grow the revenue, grow margin, and also the head, biggest headwind, of course, is inflation that uh, you know that we haven't seen in 40 years and with that is the returns situation because there was approximately a million dollar a million sorry a trillion dollars of online sales last year of which there were more than 200 billion in returns uh, just of note of the 200 billion about 10 percent were fraudulent but uh, the market is sort of accepting that high rate of returns is normal, which uh, I can't accept. Uh, you know, uh, the percentage of returns on an annualized basis is running at approximately 25%. Uh, this is according to McKinsey and, and other um, authorities. So, you know, the question is that is 20 or 25% acceptable? And uh, in my and our opinion, we believe that it's absolutely not. The U.S. consumer is probably the most educated consumer in the world and has been given a free pass on returning uh, goods. Uh, Now, I'm not saying that returning of goods is not a normal part of the practice, but if a company's gross margin is approximately 75 to 80 percent and they're disciplined in their return policy, then it doesn't matter uh, as the customer's paying for the return and the restocking fee. But I'm shocked that most companies do not know the dollar amount of the returns and they don't know the true cost. Yeah, that is that is surprising. So what is the what is that true cost? Well, I'm I'm gonna keep it simple. So let's just use a middle market company that's doing a hundred million dollar online revenue and it's selling approximately a million units at a hundred dollars per unit. These are the costs that go into it to pick and pack that unit. It's $2. To ship that product out is $12. A credit card transaction fee is another $3. The credit card refund transaction fee is $3. To restock that product is $4. To ship that product back is costing the company $12. You add that all up, it's $36 out of $100. That's not to uh, I've got to mention the digital marketing cost, which is about $20, the acquisition cost, 
So when you add this all up together, you've got approximately $55 to $60 of the cost to return that product on an item that you're selling for $100, and it probably cost you $40. So you're totally under the water. And this is costing approximately on a, a, the $100 million company, they're getting $25 million of returns, and you call, it's about a $10 million straight to the bottom line for these returns. Yeah, so that is obviously significant, much higher than I would have thought. Um, and again, surprising that some of that data is not uh, understood or known. Um, what's the fix? I mean, how, how do you how do you solve for that problem, given given what's going on and given how things have shifted and, and returns have become so prevalent? Well, to be clear, there are always going to be returns. It's a cost of doing business. And the big players need to lead the way. And you're finding that a lot of people have, are not now giving free returns. But the way to fix it is you've got to have a threshold on free shipping. So if you take the client that I've just spoken about or the online, if you're talking about a $100 million uh, online business and their average unit cost is $100 and they're giving free shipping, raise the threshold to somewhere between $175 and $200 and educate your customer that it costs $15 to $20 to restock. And it's, it's amazing how many CEOs do not actually know the true cost. But that is the fix. Raise the, uh, the shipping threshold, and a lot of the small market guys are doing that now. Okay, Mark, thanks. Um, let's turn, Michael, to you. Uh, this is probably the next question that's uh, on most people's minds, which uh, is, you know, why do some retailers seem to have markedly lower rates of returns than others right now? What are they, what are they doing right? Are they are they are they approaching it from the perspective that uh, Mark just suggested, or what are they doing correctly? Well, I, I think when you when you look at, at returns, what you have to do is you have to have to look at returns by category. And some might might argue that some categories have endemically higher return rates because of the category themselves. Like if you look at at shoes, shoes has the highest rate of return because of of the sizing issue and the fact that different manufacturers have different lasts and different sizings. Then if you look at 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 home goods, uh, where where it's you know people are, are pretty much uh, buying what they what they see, or their electronics and they have serial numbers and they do research, uh, or if you look at basic branded apparel like socks and underwear where customers are basically, uh, they know their size uh, uh, and they're restocking, you'll, you'll see different return rates between those categories. But uh, regardless of that fact, it's really how a retailer manages their business from sourcing to point of sale to managing the return process that, that can have a major impact on uh, the return rate. And, you know, if you really look at, at, at return rates, it really all starts with the product itself. Well-constructed products with a high price value perception that fit consistently can go a long way to reducing returns. Because basically, if the consumer has trust in the retailer and the representation of the fit, they're not going to order more sizes just to get the right fit. 
they'll have they'll have a, a strong uh, trust in that the, the, the size that they're ordering uh, will will fit. So I thought it would be interesting uh, to present a case history of an apparel retailer to illustrate this point. Great. And so uh, Mark talked about the McKinsey data on on apparel returns and this company, and it shows that you know apparel retail total returns run around twenty percent, but online apparel retail runs at twenty five percent of sales and returns. This specialty apparel retailer in twenty twenty two achieved return rates half of what the McKinsey survey averages were, and uh, both in online and in the bricks and mortar channel. Uh, and so, 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 so why is that? Well, that's the question, right? That's the, the question, and, and how, how how do some retailers do it, and other retailers are are swimming in returns? And yeah. really, it starts with the product itself. As apparel merchants, in this particular case, the company has been maniacally focused on making sure that the product fit their target customer. They had research on the customer. They, you know, they had experience in terms of how that customer's uh, sizing um, was spec. So they also, instead of just what what we call grading a product down uh, or up in a formula mathematically, they basically spec each size individually. So an eight might be a little different than a a 10, than a 14. uh, And so they really had had that down uh, pat. And so because of that fact, their customer right, trusted that the size garment she either ordered online or tried on in store was consistent and was consistent throughout all product categories, whether, whether it was a dress, a sweater, jeans, or fashion tops. Uh, for apparel customers, fit continues to be the most important driver of purchase and repeat purchase. And poor fit is the, has always been and continues to be the most important reason uh, for customers returning product. Now, if you look at the company's bricks and mortar channel, the company focuses on the experience and focuses on the fitting room experience with dedicated with dedicated sales associates. So, you know, the, the key in apparel, really, if you want to build a sale, is to get the customer into the fitting room. And the result is a better experience and the fact that when she purchases the item, she knows that the garment fits her. So getting her into the fitting room is critical so that uh, she she buys something that she has tried on and she knows that fits. Uh, another, another aspect where product is critical is differentiated assortments that the customer cannot find elsewhere. So if she's buying a fashion item in short supply and not a commodity item, if it fits, it won't come back because she knows that uh, uh, she won't be able to find it elsewhere. And another portion of this, too, in, in that regard, is scarcity. If you look at people uh, like Zara, um, who, who basically, you know, flow in fashion items uh, all the time, uh, they know customers know that when they see an item online or in store, that if they don't buy it immediately, it'll be gone. So they, they will they will purchase it right away. Um, in addition, in this particular apparel retailer, and it's not Zara, there's a dedicated focus by the sales associates on reducing the return rate uh, 
by what they call arranging the exchange in store. So a customer buys a product and, you know, they, they decided they want to return it, whether they may not like it or it doesn't fit or or the quality is not great or, uh, you know, you, you know, they just bought too much. Uh, when they come in the stores, uh, trained sales associates who under, understand how to convert the return into an exchange and even grow the total sale through add-on sales and completing the outfit with accessories. So sometimes, you know, how you handle return, either online or in store, can can really end up um, engaging the customer, making the customer feel better about the brand and resulting in a larger sale. Uh, so in e-commerce, there are also some additional factors such as, you know, to, to get customers comfortable. Uh, and, and one of them would be product reviews. If the company has high ratings on, on their products, these ratings, which come from other customers, not from the company, give her comfort in choosing the size and item that works for her w- without having to buy multiple sizes of the same item. Uh, and then the other, another thing online, which is important, is being able to give customers sizing information, size charts that help her uh, figure out whether or not the sizing is is correct for her, whether that she has to go up a size or whether it's accurate to what she thinks her size is or whether she's got to buy a size larger. Another aspect that's that's really helpful is some uh, stores, both online and in stores, have have style consultants who can, you know, who can talk or text the customer through the purchase journey so that by the time they, they, you know, they purchase the item and they push that button and purchase that they have a strong trust that this item is going to be right uh, for her. Now, the last aspect of how you reduce returns is something that's that people are are starting to talk about is charging for returns. You know, charging for returns, especially when you look at the cost of, of returns, you know, that gives the customer pause in order to to make sure that she buys the right product in her right size. Now, while this may be a negative for some customers, if you have a differentiated product that she cannot find elsewhere and she has trust in the fit and quality, this overcomes the prospect of having to pay for returns because basically she's going to say, I know that what I, what I get is going to work and I'm not worrying about having to pay for returns because I'm not going to return the item. Yeah, I mean, excellent, excellent points. And I think the use of the case is really compelling here. Uh, it certainly helped drive it home for me, especially, um, you know, I do some shopping online. I, you know, I started to see more of those sizing charts being uh, incorporated into the sales process online, which does give, I think would give anybody a little more comfort. And then the idea of charging for returns. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's definitely going to um, discourage the returns. And again, it, like you said, if you have the confidence um, in what in what you're buying in the first place, I, th- I don't think that really becomes too much of a deterrent. So great. Uh, thanks for sharing that uh, case as an example. And I think um, I think it crystallizes things. So let's let's turn now to Glenn, last but not least in this triad of uh, experts that we have here today. Glenn, um, if you could just address a couple of things I think we haven't covered yet, it'd be great. So for starters, uh, maybe you can talk about, you know, the impact of returns on the environment from a sustainability perspective, because I know that's top of line for 
uh, many businesses and uh, many consumers as well. And then if you could talk also about um, alternative solutions uh, that are available to brands and retailers for minimizing and reducing returns that maybe we haven't touched on so far. Great, Steve. Uh, thanks. Be happy to. So, yeah, the fashion industry is second only to oil and gas industry and pollution, um, which is pretty remarkable. Uh, each year, the fashion industry produces $13 million of waste, and the average consumer throws away 70 pounds of clothing per year. Uh, most of that clothing ends up in a landfill. Um, an estimated 95% of the waste created by the fashion industry could be recycled, reused, or resold. The biggest culprits, as Michael pointed out, I think, earlier in the uh, conversation, are the marketplaces like Amazon and Sheen, fast fashion like Zara and H&M. But these guys have figured out a way to reduce their cost returns, and their policy is keep it, don't return it, and they'll send you a replacement. So that that works for these low-cost manufacturers where it's actually more expensive, you know, per Mark's uh, great illustration of the cost. So they have figured out that, you know, if the garment actually, the first cost for them is $3, and they've already, you know, and they're selling it to you for 9 um, they can't afford to take it back, restock it. So it's easier for you, just it's easier for them and, and more economically sound for them just to tell you to keep it, and they'll send you a replacement. Um, but middle market brands and retailers on the high end cannot afford the same approach. So um, what the luxury brands have done and middle market brands are, are following suit, taken a, a page out of the automotive, the luxury automotive playbook. Um, I think everybody's familiar with Mercedes-Benz and BMW certified pre-owned. Um, so we're seeing this trend really pick up in the retail business, which is really interesting, actually in electronics and home goods as well. It's not just apparel. Um, so it really runs the gamut. Um, they've, you know, because they have a, a, it's important for them to address a sustainability issue. And it's important for the consumer that's buying the product from these brands. They are now either taking back the merchandise, they're refurbishing it, they're recycling it, they're repairing it, and they're selling it either in a resale concept like Patagonia is called uh, Rework. Uh, Gucci has done the same uh, type of thing where they're actually selling it. So similar to a Mercedes-Benz where you walk into a Mercedes dealership and you may be looking at that new G-Wagon. Um, but uh, it's, you know, the price tag of $200,000 is a little frightening, um, but you can buy a certified pre-owned one for about half that price. It's been authenticated by the brand. It's been repaired and the maintenance has been done by the brand. So you know that you're buying high quality. Um, and we're starting to see this trend happen in fashion as well. So, you know, to Mark's point, I think returns are never going to go away, uh, but brands and retailers uh, that are adopting this uh, resale or the secondary market, restore, uh, restoring the product, refurbishing it. Um, I think this is a trend that we're going to continue to see, and it's a, a great alternative um, to minimize some of the costs associated with returns. Fantastic. Uh, very interesting, specifically the, the restoring piece of it. I think some of us have, have seen uh, some some of that taking place uh, also in terms of uh, you, you go to Amazon, you go elsewhere, and you see you know refurbished or restored items at a slight discount. Um, right. So that's that's and, kind of how we're seeing it now. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it's interesting because Patagonia was one of the pioneers in this space, and you know, of course, they've been 
uh, environmentally conscious brand for a long time or, or purpose-driven brand. And, you know, what they found initially was by taking these goods back from their very loyal customers that own a lot of Patagonia and have, have bought it for years, um, if it can be refurbished, then it's a great entree into the brand for a new customer because these, these refurbished items tend to be at a lower uh, price. Um, so it's a great new customer acquisition tool to get somebody into the brand. They would buy something, have a great experience with the brand on a refurbished product, and eventually trade up to full price. So I think it makes a lot of sense. It is, you know, um, a true definition of this circular economy. Yeah, that seems to be the way things are going. All right, well, again, yeah, it's being driven. It's being driven by you know the younger generation. Gen Z is definitely. You know, uh, this is important for them, and and they also love the the concept of thrifting or discovery. It's sort of you know, uh, so it really checks off a lot of boxes. Um, and as they continue to drive more and more of the purchase decisions in the households, I think we'll see more of this uh, continue. Great, really, really interesting stuff, guys. Glenn, Mark, Michael, super insights, so relevant and timely. I think all of us are aware of. Uh, of what's been happening. And uh, this is a great way to to take a look at it and um, bring some of it to light with some possible solutions. So I, I wish we had more time uh, to dig in deeper, but let's provide the listeners with a single point of contact they could reach out to. Uh, who wants to step up for that? Uh, I'm happy to do so. Uh, and uh, feel free to, to contact me, Michael Appel. My email address is mappel, M-A-P-P-E-L, at Getzler Henrik. Dot com and my direct cell is 917-789-3615. Okay, great, Michael. Thanks for uh, volunteering for that. And listeners, uh, certainly if your business or a business in your portfolio is struggling with the types of issues pertaining to returns that we talked about here today, uh, I would encourage you to, to reach out to Michael uh, and the team for a discussion. And as always, we hope that this podcast provided you with at least one key takeaway that you can put to good use in your business or share with a colleague or client to help make them that much more successful moving forward. And lastly, please remember that you can check out more great podcasts and articles featuring timely insights from Hilco experts at hilcoglobal.com forward slash smarter dash perspectives. Guys, thanks again for joining us. And until next time for Hilco Global, I'm Steve Katz. Thank you.